Hey, let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to John <clears throat> chapter 13. John 13 this morning, and we're just going to read <clears throat> verse 16, and then we'll commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> verse 16 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for the opportunity to be here together in this place in your house and come and spend time around your word. <clears throat> we pray that, Lord, now uh, you would quiet our hearts, that we would uh, be ready to listen and receive your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach and instruct us as you see fit. I pray that you give uh, me wisdom and guidance now as I preach, uh, that, Lord, you would empower through the Spirit. And, Lord, your name will be honoured and glorified and praised this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, last Sunday afternoon, we started a new series, a new series looking at the parables of our Lord. And we talked about how, you know, during Christ's three years of ministry here on earth, parables uh, formed one of the main tools, one of the main methods that he used to uh, teach the people. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 2, it declares, it says, Christ taught them many things by parables. And so parables were an essential part of our Lord's teaching ministry. And we talked about how those parables can be found in three different forms. They can be a saying, they can be a similitude, or a, even a story. And of course, it's the story parables that we are most familiar with. But Christ also used many sayings and similitudes as well. And so we want to start our series by looking at some of those uh, parable sayings that our Lord used. And last week we considered the saying, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are weak. Uh, uh, but what, they that are sick, sorry. Uh, and we talked about how that talks about our Savior's passion for the lost and the passion that we should have, the care that we should have for the unsaved. And this morning now we want to consider the words found here in verse 16. The servant is not greater than his Lord. You know, this parable teaches a very simple truth, but it's actually one of our Lord's favorite parable sayings. Our Lord says this one more than any other as you go through the Gospels. Uh, one commentator noted this, he said, This parable saying in its various forms is repeated more often in the Bible than any other parable saying. It was evidently a saying that Jesus loved to repeat. You know, when our Lord repeats something in the Word of God, it tells us that it's important. It's an important truth for us to understand and uh, to learn, learn what it means. You know, everything our Lord says is obviously important and everything He says is to be heeded. But if our Lord repeats a truth, then it's emphasizing the importance of it for us, isn't it? Emphasizing that we ought to pay attention to what it means and seek to learn it. And so for this reason, this parable saying is spoken by our Lord on numerous occasions uh, in slightly different forms. They're not all exactly the same, but it's the same parable idea. 
In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, we see the Lord use this parable in two different ways, two different forms, as he commissions the 12 disciples to go forth. Just go there, Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 24 says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. And so you have the same parable saying, but in two different forms, the disciple is not above his master, the servant above his Lord. And Christ is using it here as he commissions the 12 disciples to go forth. In Luke's account, we see it used in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, as Christ speaks this parable in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Just turn there. <clears throat> Luke chapter 6. And so this, this is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. It says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And so again, it's the same parable idea, slightly different. The disciple is not above his master and Christ is speaking it here during the sermon on the mounts and so we see it used in different places different contexts different times but it's the same parable saying and finally we see Christ use this parable saying twice in the gospel of John here in John chapter 13 and verse 16 and then also in chapter 15 and verse 20 and this morning I want us to focus on these two occasions. I want to focus our attention on these two occasions where Christ uses uh, this parable saying in the Gospel of John. And so notice firstly, Christ uses it in the upper room. In the upper room. This is verse 16 in chapter 13 here where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Here in chapter 13, Uh, We find that Christ and his disciples are gathered together in the upper room. They're gathered together to celebrate the Passover. That final Passover just before our Lord is arrested and, of course, then tried and taken out to uh, be crucified on the cross. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. It says, "Now Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. In the first three verses here, we sort of get uh, the introduction into what's happening here. They're gathered together in the upper room. Verse 2 there it says, And supper being ended, Ended. Now, we're not meant to understand here that the supper is over, that it's finished. That's clear as you read the rest of the chapter. Supper's just begun. It hasn't finished. Uh, it's, it's rather these words speak of supper being in progress. Okay, And so we could translate it instead as supper being prepared, uh, supper being served. And so they're gathered together. They're ready now to enjoy the Last Supper, to enjoy the Passover meal together. When Christ does something that is totally unexpected, something they're not expecting him to do. Look in verse 4. It says, He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. 
Christ rises from his place at the table. He lays aside his outer garments. He puts on uh, the, <coughs> he goes himself with a towel, an apron of the servants. And then he takes this bowl and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Christ here performs the duty of a servant. Now, in those days, it was customary for a servant of the household to wash the feet of the guests as they came into the house upon arrival. And, you know, the reason for this, of course, was that in those days they wore sandals on their feet and the roads were dusty and so their feet got dirty. And so the custom was upon arrival, and certainly before you sat down for a meal, your feet would be washed. And this is a menial task. This is a task that was to be performed by a servant. You know, to wash someone else's feet was an act of humility. It was an ultimate act of humility. You're bowing down and, and serving someone else and you're washing their feet. It's an ultimate act of humility. We see this idea expressed over in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Just go there with me. <clears throat> First Samuel 25, and <clears throat> just read with me from verse 38. <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal, and he, that he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head, David sent and communed with Abigail to take her to him to wife. When the servants of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, <clears throat> they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him to wife. And she arose and bowed herself on, the face, uh, on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Now here in First Samuel 25, we see Abigail here, the, the former wife of Nabal, and she expresses her humility by offering to be David's handmaid and to humbly serve by washing the feet, not just of David, but of his servants, to wash their feet. You see, Abigail felt so unworthy of his kindness towards her, of what he was offering. She felt so unworthy that she would consider it an honor just to be able to wash his feet, wash his servant's feet. You see, this was a sign of her humility. As I said, washing someone's feet was considered to be one of the most menial tasks someone can do. And so this expression here is her expressing her humility, her willingness to debase herself in such a way. And yet here in our present passage, we see the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the eternal Son of God, we see him rise up from the table and he performs this menial task. He performs this menial task by washing his own disciples' feet. He humbles himself. Now, evidently, there was no servant pre present in the upper room because no one had offered to perform this task and it had been left undone. That's why Christ now takes it upon himself to do. You know, the fact that none of the disciples had risen up and offered to do this task speaks to their heart attitudes, doesn't it? Speaks to their attitude of heart at this time. You know, they were all too proud to do something so 
lowly, to humble themselves in such a way. They thought it was an act that was beneath them. Indeed, at this same meal, Luke tells us that they would argue about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Go to Luke chapter 22 with me. In Luke 22 and verse 24, it says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that doth serve. Whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. He goes on, but you see here the disciples are arguing there is a strife among them. They're contending with one another about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. And this argument takes place at this same meal, at the, the Last Supper. And indeed, it's possible it's taken place just before this event recorded for us here in John chapter 13. So they've been arguing about who's going to be greatest. And then the Lord rises from the table and the Lord proceeds to serve each of them. Proceeds to perform this lowly task. You see, it's clear that the disciples serving each other was far from their minds, wasn't it? They had no desire to serve one another. Their hearts were full of pride. Each of them thought that they were better than the other. You know, one commentator summed up the situation perfectly. He said, In the upper room, everything was ready. Here stood the pitcher and the wash basin, and there lay the linen cloth. There was water in the pitcher, and yet no one stirred. Each disciple was hoping that someone else would make the first move. So it sums up the perfect picture, uh, the picture perfectly, doesn't it? You know, they're all sitting there at the table and there's the, the picture, there's the wash base and there's the towel. Everything's ready and they're all sitting there thinking, well, I'm not doing it. Someone else do it. Someone else rise up. They're all waiting for someone else to make the first move. It, it demonstrates clearly their heart attitude. And, you know, Christ knew their hearts and so Christ rises up and Christ now performs this menial low task. He he humbles himself, and in doing so, our Lord rebukes them, doesn't he? He's rebuking them for their hearts, for their attitudes. But he also sets them a wonderful example, doesn't he? He sets a wonderful example for them to follow, and indeed for us to follow as believers today. And in verse 12 to 15, we see the Lord apply this example to his disciples. In verse 12 it says, so after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If, ye, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Christ makes it very clear the example that he has set for them. You know, he's finished washing all of their feet now and he makes sure they understand the lesson. They understand what he has done for them. You know, he was the one that they recognized as 
Master and Lord, verse 13, you call me Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. They called him Master and Lord, and the Lord says, you're right, I am indeed your Master, I am your Lord. And he says, but I have, humbly, I have humbled myself to serve you. I have humbly served by washing your feet. You see, Christ wanted them to understand that rank, which is what they were arguing about, rank had nothing to do with it. In love, they ought to be willing to humble themselves and to serve one another, to put each other first. And Christ then concludes these words of application with the parable saying, Look at verse 16 there. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. You see, it's in this context that Christ now gives us this parable saying. You know, he's just humbled himself, he's served them, and then he says, the servant is not greater than his Lord. You see, this parable sums up perfectly what Christ has been teaching them. You see that he's been teaching them that like their master, they needed to humble themselves, be willing to serve one another in love. If, if something wasn't too good for their master to do, well, it's definitely not too good for them, is it? Definitely not, too, not above them to do. You see, the disciples' attitude had been that washing the feet of another was beneath them. It was a task for someone else. It was a task for a lowly servant. But they needed to remember they were not greater than their master. And he had just humbled himself to serve each of them. The commentator Butler writes this, If he, their Lord, did the lowly office of washing the feet, then they, his servants, ought to be even more willing to humble themselves in his service. That's the lesson, isn't it? If Christ their master and Christ our master is willing to humble himself in such a way, we ought to be even more willing to humble ourselves. And serve one another. You see, Christ here has, has truly given us an example of humility to follow. But you know, the truth is that this foot washing is really only a small indication of Christ's humility. You know, Christ's whole purpose here on earth was to serve all mankind. Go to Philippians chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> Philippians 2 and verse 1, we know the passage well. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bows and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then in verse 5 it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." This is the whole purpose. This is the whole reason Christ came. Christ came to serve all mankind. You know, Paul, he speaks about Christ being our example of humility. He says, let this mind be in you, the mind of Christ. 
You see, our Lord, the eternal Son of God, humbled himself to come to earth and die on the cross for our sin, die in the place of all mankind. He took upon himself the form of a servant and served all mankind, providing a way of salvation. And of course, the motivation behind Christ's service was love. And so should the motivation behind our service be. It should be love, love for one another. You see, Christ has set a wonderful example for us to follow. You know, when we stop and we consider our Savior, consider all that He has done, we consider His humility, we consider His sacrifice, His service, our response can only be one of humility. You see, pride has no place in the life of the believer, does it? Pride has no place in our, in, our, in our lives when we consider who Christ is and all that Christ has done. You see, beloved, let us remember the servant, that's us, the servant is not greater than his Lord. And let us humble ourselves and serve one another in love. And so here in the upper room, Christ has used this parable to teach a lesson on service, submission, humility. And then Christ uses it a second time on their way to Gethsemane. Go over to chapter 15 with me. <clears throat> chapter 15 and verse 20. <clears throat> verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. <clears throat> if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. <clears throat> Here in chapter 15, we find the exact same wording of the parable. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Exact same wording of the parable, but Christ is speaking these words in a totally different context, a totally different setting. And the result is that it's a different lesson that it's teaching us here. You see, in chapter 15, the disciples have now left the upper room. They finished the Last Supper, and they are on their way now to the Garden of Gethsemane. The end of chapter 14 there, verse 31, <clears throat> says, But uh, that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. So chapter 14 ends with Christ telling his disciples, Arise, let us go hence. The meal is over, and they leave the upper room, and they begin their journey out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ, of course, is going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be arrested before being put on trial and crucified. And as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ, of course, is, as always, taking the opportunity to teach his disciples. In verses 1 to 11, Christ teaches them about the fact that he is the vine and we are the branches. He teaches them about abiding in him. In verses 12 to 17, he then exhorts them to love one another. So he speaks about their relationship with each other. Before he comes to verse 18 and he turns to speaking about their relationship with the world. Look in verse 18. <clears throat> it says, If the world hate you, ye you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so he turns now speaking about the disciples' relationship with the world and Christ tells the disciples here that they can expect, and indeed we can expect, can expect the world to hate us. And verse 18 begins with the words there. It says, if the world 
hate you. Now, the word if here is not meant to imply that there is any doubt about this actually happening. The word if essentially means seeing, okay, seeing the world hate you. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of truth. The world was going to hate the disciples. The world will hate all believers. But Christ tells them here when that hatred comes, they need to remember that the world hated him. First of all, verse 18 again, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Christ reminds them of the world's treatment of him. You see, the disciples, they had witnessed the, the hatred that the world had for Christ. They witnessed it firsthand. You know, on numerous occasions, they'd seen the Lord being falsely accused. They'd seen the Lord accused of being a, a madman. They'd seen uh, men accuse him of being possessed by a devil, being the servant of the devil. Indeed, the Jews had even at times tried to kill him before this. They tried to stone him in John chapter 10. Let's just go there and read just this one occasion, John chapter 10. John 10 verse 30. Christ said, I, am, I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you. From my father, for which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. We see them in chapter 10, they take up stones to stone him, because he said that I and my father are one. And they called him a blasphemer. The hatred of the Jews, the hatred of the world, for Christ is clear. You know, he was indeed despised and rejected of men, as Isaiah 53 prophesied. He was despised, he was rejected of men, and the disciples witnessed that hatred firsthand. They'd seen it up close, and they were about to witness it even more, weren't they? They were about to see the Lord arrested, falsely accused, and then crucified. They were going to see the hatred escalate, if you like. They'd see it firsthand. And Christ here instructs his disciples to remember this, to remember the treatment of the world towards him when they themselves experience hatred from the world. You see, there's comfort in knowing that they were simply suffering as he did. They were experiencing the same as their master. In verse 19, Christ makes it clear why the world would hate them and indeed why the world hates believers. Verse 19 there. It says, if you're of the world, the world would love his own. Because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You see, the world naturally hates believers. Why? Because we are not of the world. The world loves its own people. The world loves those who are of the same nature, who are like-minded. But because we are saved regenerated, born again, we now have a new nature and we are no longer of this world. We have a different nature, a different way of thinking and this naturally results in the world hating us, rejecting us. You know, this is very evident in our day and age, isn't it? You know, the world more and more is turning away from the Lord. They're casting off all restraints. And as a result, we are hated for our morality, aren't we? 
were hated because we refused to condone the wickedness of the world. We refused to move with them. We're hated because we think differently to the world. You see, we are indeed hated by the world, but beloved, we find comfort in remembering that the world hated him first. And in support of all this, Christ now once more uses this parable saying, in verse 20, saying the servant is not greater than his Lord. Look there in verse 20. It says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Christ calls upon his disciples to remember the words that he had spoken unto them. Remember the words he'd spoken earlier in the evening at the Last Supper. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Calls upon them to remember this short little parable. You see, early in the evening, Christ had used this parable to teach a lesson on submission, a lesson on humility. Now Christ uses the same parable to teach a lesson on suffering. You see, with this parable, Christ sums up what he has taught in the previous two verses. Christ tells his disciples, and indeed us, he says, the servant is not greater than his Lord, so don't expect to be immune from persecution. That's basically what the Lord's saying here. If the master is persecuted, the servant will be persecuted. If the master is rejected, the servant will be rejected. The next part of verse 20 makes that point clear, doesn't it? Verse 20 again, it says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This makes the point clear. We should not be surprised when we suffer persecution because they persecuted our master, first of all. We should not be surprised when men reject the gospel message. They rejected the Lord, as he taught the gospel message. We should not be surprised by their rejection of the truth, truth, their rejection of us as believers. You know, the world rejected him and crucified him. Why should we as his servants expect any better? Commentator Butler writes this, he says, Too often we seem to think that if we are serving the Lord well, we will receive honor and praise. The opposite, however, is more likely to happen. But when it happens, do not quit. Remember that the servant is not better than his Lord. And if Christ was treated terribly, even though he was perfect, we who are not perfect will certainly be persecuted. You see, it's, there's comfort in this, isn't there? It's good for us to remember the servant is not greater than his Lord. And so when we suffer for righteousness' sake, instead of being discouraged, rejoice. We're counted worthy to suffer as our master did. We're, we're partaking in his suffering. You know, there's also a word of encouragement here from our Lord concerning ministry, concerning service for him. You see, it's not all rejection. It's not all persecution. There will be success as we serve him. He says that there at the end of verse 20. He says, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. You now it's wonderful the Lord inserts this uh, little promise here, if you like. You know, Christ wasn't rejected by all, was he? He wasn't rejected by everyone. There, there were some who received his words. There were some who believed in him. 
And Christ here gives his disciples and us the assurance that we can expect the same. There will be some who heed the truth and some will receive our words. Commentator Butler again writes this. He says, how gracious of Christ to insert this promise in the text. Suffering discourages and often causes us to want to quit. But keep going anyway. Some did indeed believe Jesus Christ. Some did indeed keep his teaching. And some will indeed heed your teaching and preaching too. All is not in vain. There will be rewarding results somewhere and sometime. It's a wonderful little promise, isn't it? You see, with this parable saying here, Christ assures us of both truths. We can be sure that we will suffer as he suffered. The servant is not greater than his Lord. But we can also be sure that we will see success as he did. The servant is not greater than his Lord. We'll experience success just like he did. You see, beloved, let us today commit to memory the truth of this short little parable. The servant is not greater than his Lord. You know, may it constantly remind us to humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself, to submit to one another in love. May it also remind us that when we suffer, Christ suffered first of all. And may it also remind us that like our Savior, our ministry, our service is not in vain. Truly, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for this short little parable saying. And Lord, the wonderful truth contained therein. And Lord, we are so unworthy to be your servants. But Lord, we thank you so much that as your servants, we can expect those things that happen unto you to happen unto us. May we follow your example. May we be humble, Lord, as you were humble. May we be willing to sacrifice and serve one another in love. May we be willing to suffer. And Lord, may we indeed keep soldiering on, knowing there will be success. May we remember the truth of your word this morning. Hide it in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.